Hello again, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. Um, today we're going to drift back into the world of philosophy, and we're going to finish up with the third part of the uh, two parts that I've already started on scary words. And as with any good horror story, I always should I always think you should save the scariest part for last. And by far, this word we're going to talk about today, when people hear it, is probably by far the scariest of the three we've discussed. Uh, that word is anarchism. Now, anarchism has been associated in a lot of negative ways. It's always seen as kind of a breakdown of order, of chaos, of everybody doing what they want to do, taking for themselves. Kind of the idea of, you know, the brutal, selfish nature is allowed to run wild. And this connection with chaos has always been intentional. Um, this has always been something that uh, all power systems have tried to connect to anarchism whenever it uh, sort of starts to be discussed uh, by intellectuals. And there are intellectuals in the tradition of anarchism. Um, most uh, people think anarchism is just sort of this uh, punk rock philosophy. Uh, you know, they think of the Sex Pistols anarchy in the UK. And this is really the picture that most people get of anarchy, this sort of smash and destroy and do whatever you want and live a life of uh, complete wild abandon. Uh, well, the Sex Pistols weren't um, philosophers. The Sex Pistols were a bunch of young kids who made some great punk rock music. It's enjoyable aesthetically, but their view of anarchy is sort of a punk rock view of anarchy. It's a, it's a cartoon version of anarchy, if you will. Uh, the real form of anarchism and what you see in punk rock and what the way that anarchism is portrayed, um, those things are as different as a, um, a real bear versus a cartoon bear. Uh, you know, you have Yogi Bear and Boo Boo. Um, while they're entertaining to watch, especially for children, uh, they're not really bears. Uh, they're cartoon bears. Uh, they are not, you are not going to go into the wild and find talking bears that are wearing vests and hats uh, and talking and, you know, <clears throat> getting into trouble that way. You're going to find the animals uh, when you go into nature. Uh, anarchy is, anarchism is much the same. Um, the way it's been portrayed is very much through caricature. Um, and this is often because the people who control the narratives, the people who basically decide what you get educated in and what you do not get educated in, uh, have decided to keep it that way. Now, I will admit, even as a philosophy major, uh, the anarchist writers, when we did read them, we never read that part of their writing or we never read them as that. Uh, and they were generally glossed over very quickly. And a lot of the names weren't even mentioned at all. They were kind of completely left out of the spectrum. And so in order to kind of piece together what this philosophy actually is, uh, you have to do a little digging. You have to read some people for yourself. Uh, it's not going to be presented in any straightforward way. It's always going to be presented in a very dismissive way. Um, you know, seen as the bringer of uh, chaos. And again, most people think the words chaos and anarchy are, and anarchism are 
the same thing, that one means the other. In fact, if you actually start to study anarchist and you know who the real anarchist philosophers are, you see that chaos was the farthest from what they wanted. In fact, they often saw chaos as being something that is produced by top-down systems, uh, religious systems, political systems, economic systems. They intentionally create chaos when they're top-down systems uh, so that they can keep the people afraid, so that they can keep the people obedient. If there's always a, you know, a fear of wild savagery outside your door at every moment, uh, you're going to be less likely to resist. You're going to be more likely to just do what you're told because these people are keeping that wild beast away. And even though these people are abusing you as well, you know, it's kind of like the old saying, the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. You know, at least you know what to expect from kings and uh, captains of industry and uh, communist leaders and, and so forth. You know what kind of despotism they're going to throw at you, what kind of chaos they're going to throw at you. But again, the chaos idea is something that always serves top-down systems. It is, it is always something that has sort of encouraged the anarchists to sort of form these philosophies contrary to the traditional systems. Uh, one of the first anarchists, um, there's actually a few ancient Greeks and before that, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start a little more recently than that. Uh, I'm going to start with the first, the first one I'm going to start out with is Rousseau. Now Rousseau um, sort of had a vision that uh, the Enlightenment and the rule from above was a bad thing. Uh, we've kind of destroyed our human nature by being forced into these artificial systems. Uh, he saw life as better when we lived in a state of nature. Now, part of this is a naive uh, belief in the good old days, but part of it was also looking at the chaos that was actually being caused um, by the rise of capitalism, by the aristocracy, by the um, uh, churches, uh, different things like that, how they were kind of encouraging misery to sort of throw the people into their bosom. And so Rousseau starts to talk about the idea of government should, since we can't go back to that perfect state of nature, since progress is here and it's going to keep happening, uh, what we should have instead is rule by everyone, where the intelligent people would all meet and decide the direction of society, uh, the intelligent and even the plain people. You know, he didn't see this as something that was in an elitism. Uh, he felt that people who were invested in day-to-day -day society weren't going to do things that were going to be against their best interests. Um, they were going to do things like, how are we going to grow more crops? How are we going to preserve crops? Uh, what kinds of services do we want? What kind of uh, things should we put our energy into? So he saw governing as much more practical and much more of something that everyone should have a hand in. This is kind of the crazy belief that all human beings have a brain uh, and therefore we should all contribute. Now how do we all contribute? Obviously it has to be democratic. There has to be voting. <clears throat> now Rousseau is a little bit kind of retreats back to being conservative because he sort of says with his idea of the social contract that as we make these rules and as you agree to them, you are bound uh, under punishment of death 
uh, not to violate these rules. <clears throat> so he kind of, in one sense, opens it up for rule by all, but then as soon as that happens, he kind of closes it off again and it becomes uh, another almost despotic system uh, like he was trying to get away from. Now, if you go a little more forward in history, uh, you run into names like Emerson and Thoreau. And Emerson and Thoreau, far from being people who uh, were into savagery and doing anything they wanted and indulging their appetites, uh, were people that believed in a life of contemplation, a life of uh, thinking and working and a and, uh, sense of community. You know, one of the things that is a famous quote from Henry David Thoreau is that uh, the government, it's been said that the government which governs best is that which governs least. I say the government which governs best is that which governs not at all. And when mankind is ready, that is precisely the government he will have. Now, this is sort of the idea that we can't just knock everything down, um, but we can work towards this. So he's far from being a radical and saying, let's just destroy everything and have no rules. Uh, his idea is that uh, humans should indulge in self-improvement and improvement in how they interact as a community rather than just chasing after money or chasing after power. Because he saw these things as what were really the downfalls of society. In Life Without Principle, um, which is an essay that I highly read. It was actually an address he gave uh, to a school, uh, but they copied it down and printed it. Um, in Life Without Principle, he talks about uh, the fact that it didn't do us much good to overthrow a political tyrant and then just give ourselves over to an economic tyrant. So there's a sort of idea starting in Thoreau that all of these top-down systems, uh, regardless of what they are, basically boil down to tyranny. Uh, whenever you put any one large group in control, that group eventually sorry, will start to use that power to oppress everyone else. Because in order to keep power, they have to push everyone else down and keep building themselves up. <clears throat> now, going a little later than them, uh, you might hear of a philosopher, if you dig a little bit, um, named Bakunin. Uh, Bakunin was an anarchist philosopher. And while some of his ideas did lean towards uh, using violence to obtain the method, uh, or to obtain the state of anarchism, um, his ideas were not that he's doing this to create a chaotic society. He's very much borrowing from his times. You know, if you look at the other uh, movements, uh, capitalism, communism, socialism, anarchism, they're kind of in a civil war in the 1800s and into the uh, 1900s. Um, there's sort of this battle for survival to see which one will fight its way to the top. And so there's a lot of rhetoric about embracing violence during these times. Um, again, you know, I talked about communism last time in the Communist Manifesto. Um, there's a lot of uh, ideas about you know, revolution by the people, overthrowing what there is, uh, dictatorship by the proletariat, which we talked about as a 
you know, dictatorship of the workers, which has to be democratic because the workers are a lot of different people. You start to, when you look at anarchism, see a lot of connections with uh, Marxism and with other strains of thought. Kind of the idea that um, all of us have a brain, all of us are contributing, all of us should benefit from those contributions. Uh, anarchism splits a little bit from communism in that communism sort of says all of this and says, okay, and once we get this system, people should sort of more or less be forced to conform to this system. Uh, whereas anarchism kind of keeps the door open for different ideas because there's the sense that this is where actual progress comes from. When everybody is brainwashed into thinking the same way, and doing the same thing, you basically march in a straight line. And you, if, if that line takes you off a cliff, everyone goes off a cliff. Uh, whereas anarchism kind of encourages the idea of there should be lots of different ideas. As many different ideas as there are people. And those ideas should sort of wake, make their way into the marketplace of ideas and be debated and uh, challenged and strengthened. And um, from there, we pick uh, the best ideas uh, collectively through voting. And then we keep working on fixing those ideas. So anarchism, in, a, in opposition to some of the other systems, isn't seen as a utopia where you get to the end and then everyone lives happily ever after. You know, this is kind of the system that is portrayed with every other type of system. This is how capitalism is portrayed. This is how socialism, this is how communism, you know, all of these are portrayed as once we get into this perfect system, everybody lives happily ever after. And anarchism is sort of a little more realistic than this. And it believes that human society will always be changing, will always be coming up against new obstacles uh, and as a group, as a whole, we need to figure out how to overcome these obstacles while maintaining uh, as much individual freedom as possible. And this is the, this is the tough balancing act that I think most systems uh, miss. They either want to be, it's all about the individual and pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you do this all by yourself, which is sort of the uh, idealism of capitalism, or, you know, the sort of uh, complete opposite of Marxism, where you say, no, we're, you know, we all have to row in exactly the same way, and then uh, everything will be perfect, because we'll all be going in the same direction. So anarchism is actually a much more intellectual uh, approach to governing. Now, it doesn't mean no government. This is one of the mistakes uh, a lot of people think anarchism means there's no government, there's no rules. Uh, again, that would make it chaos, and that is one of the things that anarchism has always fought against. Uh, if you want to know who a more contemporary, still living and uh, publishing and speaking anarchist is, uh, look at Noam Chomsky. Uh, Noam Chomsky uh, actually has a couple of books on anarchism, and he's sort of one of the present-day thinkers. Um, there are others as well. Uh, so there's this, you know, and, and Chomsky is not someone that you would, you know, see running around with a mask, smashing windows, and setting things on fire. Chomsky is very much 
uh, an intellectual and towards, and an intellectual in a way, in a sense that he's inclusive, not an intellectual in the sense of, okay, we're the smart people, you're the dumb people, shut up and do what you're told. Because then this just takes us to a different type of top-down system. So anarchism tries to do away with those top-down systems as much as possible. Now, obviously, you're still going to have to have people in charge of particular um, activities. <clears throat> and anarchism would have no problem with this. Say, for example, we all get together and decide uh, with the town next to us that we've been rowing boats back and forth. And uh, maybe it's a good idea if we build a bridge to make it a little easier uh, to transport back and forth between the two towns. So we all get together, both towns, we decide this is something we're going to make happen. Uh, the next thing that gets decided is, okay, who do we put in, in charge of this project? Because you can't just have everyone go out and start building a bridge however they feel like and wherever they feel like. You'd have nothing get done. So you would need to have people in charge of particular uh, things, but with limited power. <clears throat> so you'd need to get an expert you know, who has a background in building bridges, who's going to be able to figure out how to build us a bridge that won't collapse while we're building it or within a year of building it. <clears throat> so you have to have somebody in charge for that project. But that's the only thing they're in charge of. They don't get to tell the people that are working for them how to think, what to eat, uh, who to marry, what to believe or not believe. They're in charge of that task. Okay, we're putting the pillars here. We're putting the pillars with this type of building material. And we're putting another pillar here and, and so forth. So there are things, times where anarchists would um, have particular people that would lead at certain times. Uh, it's not just, you know, everybody doing what they want to do. Uh, and again, this kind of comes from uh, ideas that were used by other um, systems uh, to justify themselves. Uh, one of the things that's constantly used as a justification for a strong government, a strong top-down system, is the ideas of Hobbes and Leviathan. You know, Hobbes kind of saw humans in the state of nature as being violent and brutal and selfish, and everyone was for themselves, and, you know, nobody looked out for each other. Uh, there's several problems with this theory. One, that's not the kind of creatures we were. So when we were living even in much more primitive societies, uh, we were still having to cooperate. Uh, humans are uh, in the primate family. Uh, we are not solitary like uh, tigers, like, you know, other animals that kind of go off and, you know, live on their own until it's time to reproduce, and then they reproduce, and they go off on their own again. That's not the kind of creatures we are. We are social creatures by nature. But let's say his idea was correct, that you have to have something over people or else they will abuse everyone else. And they'll just steal whatever they want and uh, murder whoever they want and rape whoever they want and you know, do, do anything they want and be nasty and brutish. The problem that all of the other systems have come up with is, okay, let's build this system of rules. And then who do we put in charge of this system? Well, we put a small group of people in charge of this system. And my first thought is, wait, you mean the same ones that are 
selfish and brutal and going to only think of themselves, you're going to put this small group in power. Uh, and this has been the problem that's come up over and over again with every system of power that's ever been created, whether it's political, economic, or religious. Once one person or one group is in power, it eventually turns into something else. It turns into they must hold on to that power at all costs. It turns into everyone else in the society must be suppressed, must be pushed down. <clears throat> but if you have a society where no one person or no one group can wield that kind of power, where power is distributed more evenly, more equally, uh, one person, one vote, um, if you want your ideas to be done, you better have good ideas and you better have the ability to convince other people that you have good ideas. So one of the reasons that you see the writers of uh, the, the actual philosophies behind anarchism being intellectuals is they all have the sort of belief that you can't take a society that is completely uneducated, doesn't have good thinking skills, doesn't have good problem-solving skills, and think they're going to make good choices. So one of the imperatives of an anarchist society would be universal education. Uh, your safety, your happiness, depends on your uh, fellow citizens being well-educated and making good decisions for good reasons, making decisions based on evidence, uh, logic, not making decisions based on um, just pure emotion, pure feeling, uh, or logical fallacies because someone has tricked them into those decisions. And this is why the people who have been uh, the serious thinkers of anarchism have been people that have said, this is something that we can't just do tomorrow. You can't just overthrow the government, smash everything, uh, have a revolution, and now we're ready for anarchism. The problem is you don't have a society that is properly trained for that. You don't have a society that has a sense of um, unity. You need a certain sense of unity while also keeping a sense of individuality. Because remember, as I talked about, you know, uh, you know, too much unified is not a good thing either because then you don't have any new ideas. You know, this is one of the systems that, this is one of the reasons again, that all of the top-down systems have failed. Uh, the Soviet Union is a prime example of this. You know, they had to have everyone, including the intellectuals, on the same page. And any time someone thought outside of that, um, they would be imprisoned or executed or silenced or, you know, and, and so this really kept them from growing. One of the things that after the Cold War... Um, that the, the Western society started to see about the Soviet Union was that they were way behind scientifically. Um, by the late 80s, early 90s, uh, Soviet technology was similar to what they had in the United States in the 50s and 60s. Um, and this is because they suppressed people who were different. They suppressed individualism. So any healthy society really has to take all of that into consideration. You know, you have to take into consideration the fact that we are uh, both social and individual creatures, and we have to have both needs met. You can't do everything by yourself. Everything you do is on the shoulders of lots of other people, and their 
on the shoulders of lots of other people as well. You know, we are a <clears throat> social-based creature. We have to cooperate. You can't build your own road. You can't, uh, you know, you can, but you won't get very far very fast. It's much quicker if you have lots of people building the road, uh, working together. Uh, so you have to start envisioning society in different ways. Another thing that happens in top-down systems is there starts to be an erosion of empathy. And when there's an erosion of empathy, this is where you get to atrocities. Uh, and by erosion of empathy, I mean you stop seeing other people as people. You see other people as, well, these are competitors, or these are evil, or these are you know, people that are uh, out to get me are out to get us. They hate our way of life. Um, and, and these things are necessary in top-down systems. Uh, if you don't have these kinds of thinking, uh, people are not going to blindly follow whatever their leader, their country, their king, uh, their government, their you know pastor, their pope, whatever. They, they don't have a reason to follow them unless there's this sense of, we have to stick together against those others who are evil. And when you do that, there's an erosion of empathy. Because when you can immediately dismiss any other group as, well, you're less than human, uh, that lessens your humanity as well. Um, it, it lessens uh, your, your ability to empathize. <clears throat> and it also makes your life more precarious. Uh, when you are surrounded by enemies, you could be killed at any time, you know. If you are surrounded by people who are doing well and you have a decent relationship with, uh, you're actually going to be a lot safer. You know, you can have piles of wealth, great hordes of food, uh, and then if all of your neighbors are starving, at some point they're going to get hungry enough that they're going to say, you know what, we're just going to take it away from that guy. Uh, so you have to keep building your defenses. You have to constantly live on guard. Um, this erosion of empathy, you know, makes this happen. It makes people see each other as enemies automatically, see them as enemies first. And this is one of the rules of, you know, power. I've talked about power in quite a few, essay, uh, quite a few of these podcasts and essays. Um, you know, power always has to create division in enemies. You need internal enemies to keep the people from organizing against the power, and you need external enemies in order to um, keep the people at least somewhat coherent as a group. Uh, if you just have your population fighting amongst themselves, they'll eventually break into civil war. So you have to have that scary outside enemy that's going to come and get us all. Um, whereas if under the system of anarchism, as you build towards this, you start eliminating these enemies, not by killing them, but by bringing them into the fold, by bringing them into the group. Uh, the larger the group you're in, the safer you are, uh, because you have the numbers, you have cooperation, you have respect between each other. You know, these are the things that build a good society, um, that build a society where individualism uh, can flourish in, in social life. You know, if you want to know how to make a criminal, alienate that person. You will make a criminal quickly. 
alienate them socially, alienate them politically, alienate them economically. You know, keep them out of the system. Uh, and you will quickly find you will make a lot of criminals that way. You know, this is why we have in the United States 5% of the world's population and about 25% of the world's population of prisoners. A quarter of all prisoners in the entire planet are prisoners in the United States. And a lot of this has to do with these top-down systems of division, but also these systems of isolation and alienation. Um, <clears throat> even, uh, you know, most modern societies have realized one of the cruelest forms of torture is solitary confinement. If you leave a person alone and don't let them have contact with anyone else, uh, they will eventually lose their sanity. Uh, and this is partially because, this is mainly because we're social creatures. We rely on each other as a mirror. Um, we balance our internal thoughts when we bring them out into the external world and get opinions from other people and get different perspectives. Uh, and this is kind of what anarchism is trying to do on a society level, is to encourage these different voices, but encourage different voices uh, in ways that people realize a difference of voice doesn't mean I have to kill you now. It means you see the world differently from the way I see the world. And when you actually are able to have good discussions and good debates back and forth, what you're going to find is these different perspectives, these differences of opinion, actually will fill in some of the blind spots that you have personally. You know, as you bring out your opinion, you know what your opinion is already, and they bring out their opinion, and they might be bringing up things that you haven't thought of, or in ways you haven't thought of them. So what's happening here is a transfer back and forth of knowledge, of wisdom. A good argument always has two winners. Um, because a good argument is not a fight. It's not one person trying to dominate the other. A good argument is presenting two uh, opposing opinions, finding the strengths and weaknesses in both of those. Uh, and even if you don't come to an ultimate agreement at the end, you have both uh, deepened how much you know about the topic. So, okay, I'm going to break off. I didn't want to keep this too long, um, but one of the things I wanted to do with these three in this series was to kind of show you that these words are often used as scare tactics. Um, socialism, communism, anarchism, they're words that you throw out there and people will run for the door or people will instantly get angry because they don't have a good grasp of what these things actually mean. Uh, one of the ways to alleviate fear is through knowledge. The more you know about things, the less those things are fearful. Uh, when you come into a situation that's completely unfamiliar, this is always a scary thing um, because you don't know what the rules are. You don't know what the expectations are. Is this safe? Is this dangerous? Uh, is this something that could be enjoyed? And so the more you close yourself off within a narrow set of ideas, the more you're going to build that fear. And this is one of the things that anarchism actually looks to getting past, is sort of as you democratize everything, as you stop 
pushing out certain people, pushing out certain groups, uh, you start to get a lot more brains uh, working on solutions. Um, because most people really do want a good civilized society where they can feel safe, where their children feel safe, where they know that there'll be enough to eat, good drinking water, good education, good opportunities. You know, all of these things are things that can only occur, though, when we break down uh, artificial barriers of top-down systems, when we start to use empathy and look at other people as other people. Yes, they may be different. Uh, yes, they may have different ideas. But at the base of it all, they're still human. They still have human feelings. <clears throat> okay, uh, I'm going to break off. And I hope you are all doing well. And I will talk to you all again soon. Have a good night.